just want the metalworking nation to know that this is another avenue for which that they can sell their machine tools. They don't have to sell it. They don't have to give it to a machine tool dealer. They don't have to trade it in. They could certainly try this platform to sell their machine tool. And I think that they could make a little bit to a lot of bit more money doing it. And it's not that hard. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name is Jason Zenger, and this is Making Chips, where we equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And I'm here in our Chicago studio with my good friend and co-host, Jim Carr. How you doing, Jim? Hey, man, I'm doing great. And to all that are listening, a big shout out to Jason today on his birthday. You want to share how many you're at or you want to keep that uh, to yourself? Well, I, I guess I would like to keep the specifics to myself, but let's just say that I'm officially old today. <laughs> I know how you feel. But anyway, well, happy birthday, I'm buddy. Not, I'm not and, that old. Yeah. <laughs> but you've been here, I guess. Yes, I have. I've been at that one a couple couple years ago. Uh, but anyway, it's great to be here. Uh, we certainly do try to equip and inspire the metalworking family out there, all of our Making Chips community that uh, has been listening to us for all these years. As a matter of fact, I got to share with our community of listeners that we just had a record download yesterday. Yeah, the boom. Most, that's awesome. Bam, boom. Yeah. It was huge. Record download day yesterday. Thank you, everybody, for your continued support. It's 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 so rewarding to see that analytics and, and see that spike and all the new people that are listening and all your feedback. So Yeah, it's great. Are you going to sing me happy birthday? Uh, I'm not a very good singer. I like music. I like to listen to music, but I don't sing. Okay. And not even in the shower like you do. Got it. <laughs> you know, as we normally do at the beginning of the show... Um, we we go through the manufacturing news, and again, you know, I'm always berated with all these manufacturing news articles that talk about outsourcing and the impact of manufacturing on the economy. It seems yes. like it seems like oh more than gosh. ever, manufacturing has been in the news. Like it it used to be that you wouldn't hear about the news and you know manufacturing in the Wall Street Journal or some of these big name newspapers but now and it's media. all over the place yeah, yeah the media so anyway I went, i'm gonna it's a very short article but it is from the wall street journal uh jason the title is no wonder u.s manufacturing flees abroad the simple fact that the u.s is the most expensive and problematic place in the world to manufacture products and it goes on to say that William Galston provides a thoughtful discussion about the loss of U.S. manufacturing, exploring the impact of imports, which is another way of saying that manufacturing and employment have moved overseas. Well, we, I think we've been seeing this for a while. And, and I know. You, and you and I have talked about this, that the um, the cheaply manufactured components, a lot of it has gone overseas. And a lot of the more higher technology highly engineered, difficult to manufactured 
jobs and projects are, are what have stayed here, which I, you know, I mean, I think in the long run, I think this is a good thing because everybody in the, the manufacturing industry, they, they need to be more highly trained, use, you know, more sophisticated equipment. But at the same time, some of our cheaper overseas competitors are also getting more technologically forward too. I, I realize that it just, it bugs me because we've got to do something. I want to just read this paragraph. It says, the board of directors of a sock manufacturer, this is an example, the board of, director of directors of a sock manufacturer concludes that it needs another plant. The CEO and CFO do an analysis for opening a new plant in the U.S. They factor in the highest corporate tax rate in the world along with the costs of preparing required EPA applications and a multi-year delay while the EPA considers it without knowing if they will be successful. Assuming the facility is approved, they factor in the costs of union-level wages and benefits, including mandated health care, along with requirements necessary to comply with Dodd-Frank. The list goes on. Completing the analysis, they find that covering these costs and making reasonable profit requires pricing each pair of socks at 50 bucks. Alternatively, they could open up the new plant overseas and continue to price their socks at $4. I mean, the this is this is what's nuts. It's the red tape. It's all this ancillary stuff. What are we doing wrong? The United States of America is the largest, most powerful country in the world. Why can't we learn to manufacture parts at a reasonable cost here in the states. Well, first of all, I think we can we know how to manufacture parts well, we at do. a reasonable price. I think the problem is not the actual manufacturing company in in no, this case no, it's, it's not. It's the, it's the it's corporate the tax. It's here. They factor in the highest corporate tax rate in the world. Boom. And then EPA applications, they got to wait 2 or 3 years before the EPA approves it. Well, I think that there's probably some gamesmanship in this. Just like with every media article, there's probably some gamesmanship in the numbers. Um, so I would love to actually see those numbers. Do they have they do I they have a link see, to no, produce some? No, I mean, I, I, would, I would a, love to be able to take a look and vet those numbers. Yeah, just it's just it, it is it interesting. Drives though. me crazy. Yeah. You know, I've been in this industry for a long time, and I, I really want to see manufacturing flourish. It, it it's the fundamental foundation of our country and we have to have we have to make things in this country to be successful and have sustainability well i'll tell you what i and i'm getting a little riled up can you hear it my voice yeah i'll tell you what i i do um after about a year i usually burn a hole in my socks so i would imagine <laughs> that if if they can make a sock here in the united states that's a higher quality you know it might be a cost savings for would me. you spend fifty dollars in a pair well, of socks fifty dollars no way but I mean, I would spend. Would a you little spend twenty five? Um, you know, if it's a high end sock, yeah. I mean, I okay. don't know. Interesting. I, it, I I do have some socks that are like nicer for the winter time and everything. Also, this, this is kind of different because we're talking textile manufacturing here, and so much of that has moved away. Oh, I know. Um, I have a good friend that that makes bespoke high-end USA manufactured and tailored suits and shirts. But he's like one of the few guys that does it. 
So I mean, you most places, me, yeah, yeah, most places they actually they do a lot of the measurements here, and then they you know send it over to like Singapore or some somewhere like that to to actually do the um, the tailoring and the manufacturing and everything. So mm. it is expensive to do textiles here. There's no doubt about There's it. There's no doubt about it. Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you and um, the making chips community and uh, see if anybody has any feedback on it because it just it certainly gets me a little bit. Hyped up. Yeah, you're out of breath after I talking was about lot, that article. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm already excited. You're sitting down. I, I we mean, haven't even gotten to the, the, the episode yet, and yeah, I'm already, settle down, I'm already uh, excited. Anyway, wasn't that cool talking to Peter Eelman last week at IMTS? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely enjoyed that conversation with him. I mean, Peter is so energetic about the manufacturing industry. I mean, like, you know, to him, you know, IMTS is like, you know, just kind of the the afterthought to his excitement for manufacturing. So I love that. And I just love the fact that IMTS is here in Chicago too. It makes it so much easier for us, I guess, you know, guess how many square feet of exhibit space McCormick place holds. Well, I I didn't know you were going to make me guess. I'm Ah. I'm actually looking at the website too. So I'll just answer the question. Okay. Go ahead. 1.3 million uh, square feet. I know that's, that's amazing. I know. And this is, Peter said that this was going to be the biggest year ever, ever. So, yeah, and it goes on to say that uh, it attracts 114,000 buyers from over 112 countries. I mean, That's amazing. 112 countries. You could tell. I don't think I could even rattle off more than 20. I know. You could tell, like, that there are a lot of people from from all over the place. I mean, it is amazing to see how multicultural the IMTS show. I mean, I it goes everywhere from, you know, just guys from Chicago like us to you could tell that there's people in from Asia. IMTS show just it's so multicultural. I mean, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And that's one of the things that I definitely love about it. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. I'm really looking forward to going. And um, but we need we need to tell everybody out there that if you are planning on going September 12th through the September 17th, book your air, book your hotel. Remember, Peter said last week that they have 80 special rates for the uh, rooms. Go on to imts.com, find your room, reserve, make your room reservations now, and you can even register at a discounted rate right now for the event, too. So And, and make your, your restaurant reservations. That's right. And as a matter of fact, Jim, why don't we do this? Why don't we post on makingkids.com careful, um, our favorite restaurants in Chicago? I can do that. If the, if the Metalworking Nation could go to makingchips.com, slash R-E-S-T, rest. Sounds great. That's cool. I like that and idea. Maybe we'll be I at like one of idea. these while, while, you know, while we're there for IMTS. Nice. But, you know, I was also on their, uh, the IMTS site, too, and I saw Sandvik. You know, of course, we had, we had shared with everyone that Sandvik's going to be there, too. And, they're a sponsor um, of making chips. And we they are a sponsor of making chips. And, uh, you know, they're, a f- they're the largest cutting tool manufacturer in the world. And I, was, I, w- I went onto their site because there was a link there. And do you know... That Sandvik Coralmont has a free e-learning tool on their site that you can have access to 24-7 in nine chapters, and they offer up to 75 different detailed training courses, anything from basic turning to advanced milling and machining economics. I did know that. What's the website? Um, it's Sandvik Coromont. Go to their main site. I think uh, you might have to go there, register, and then the e-learning tool is on metalcuttingknowledge.com. You'll have to register there. The tool is interactive, and it's available in both English and Espanol. So that's bueno. cool. Bueno. Anyway, uh, we've got an episode to get to soon, 
and um, I'm excited to talk about it because it's a lot of good stuff going on at Car Machine and Tool. You know, I shared with you the other day, Jason, that we've made a cognitive decision at Car Machine and Tool to sell the older CNC equipment and get new stuff. Remember, I, I was sharing I that do remember. Yep. Yeah. I said, I want to share with the metalworking nation my tips and tricks on how to sell those industrial equipments on eBay. Great. So I, I just, you know, I've been really successful on selling. I've sold about six CNC vertical machining centers over the last uh, six to seven years, and I've had some really good luck. I mean, you would not believe people, Washington State, Nevada, California, have just bought my machine tools sight unseen right off my shop floor and we just coordinate the, I mean, you're talking, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. But anyway, here, here's my tips and tricks that what I've learned over the years to create a successful eBay campaign for your machine tool. So when I, when I first have, have that CNC, I look on eBay and I look for that year and that model to see what value it has. So, so you're looking for your exact machine. I am looking and you're for searching my, for it. You're assuming it's my competition. Be up there. It's my competition. So that what that does is it gives me a good barometer, a good pulse on what it's worth, a value. And then I look at what they're selling and I say, you know, mine looks a lot better. It's got less hours on it. So, so I'm maybe not, you bump it up ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty percent. Absolutely right. And then once I decide on a price, then what I do is I tell one of the people in the shop, go to that machine, and I want you to spend a half a day cleaning it up. It has got to be spit and polished perfectly. No chips, no dirt. You want it, when you go to take pictures of that, it has to be shining. You're taking it offline, and you've decided you're not going to use it anymore, so it's time to clean it up and put it in that sellable state. Yes. We might be using it, Jason, but we just don't use it enough, and it's old technology, and we really need to amp up the technology. So um, so what they do, that they come and they get me, and they say, how does it look? And what I also do is I make sure that the ways, well, we have a maintenance schedule where the, the ways on our machines are checked and cleaned and wiped down once a month. But what I do is I go take pictures of all of the machine, all the different views. I make sure that the lighting is bright. And if I can, I'll open the door of the shop to get in some natural light because that's the best kind of lighting to take pictures with. I take pictures of the ways because, remember, that's probably one of the most important precision parts of a machine tool is the ways. And if they're scratched and, and nicked up, you're going to degrade the precision of the machine. So it's good that people see that. Also, I always take pictures of the serial number. And even some people will take video and put that in as well. Like Listen. video of the machine running? Exactly. So actually making chips? Well, yes, but not the most I've ever seen. I've never done the video, but I've seen it and it's successful, is having that spindle on running maybe at 1,000 and bringing it up to like 10,000 RPM. Just so to show that the machine is in good working condition. Absolutely. Just to show it that it's running, first and foremost. And because uh, I could assume that there's probably some people out there that have shipped machines that weren't really in the condition that they maybe tried to say that they were when they listed it. I'm sure there's a lot of people that, you know, they're probably not in business anymore if they're selling bad machines. But 
again, clean the machine, take some really good high quality photos, crop it out. We don't want to see the picture of a ladder in the background. We don't want to see a dirty bench. We don't want to see piles of crap on the side. You don't want to see pictures of somebody's no. family Cropped right next to it. everything. So they're, you're just showing the picture of the machine. Just so make let, it really tight. Make your pictures really tight of the machine. So let me let me ask you some questions. So Go. Um, Please do. What what does it take actually cost for you to when you when you sell a machine over over eBay? How do you, how do you manage that? So let's just say what was the last cost of the machine that you sold? Twenty grand. Uh, I think like fifteen thousand. Okay, so fifteen thousand dollars. How much in a fee do you end up paying to eBay? Two percent. Okay, so three hundred. So three hundred bucks. Not mm-hmm. bad. Okay, well, I w- this is one of the bullets that I was going to share okay. with you and um, everybody that's listening. Is So you list your machine, and I'll, I'll get into that in just a minute, but a lot of times you can take it offline and sell it without eBay seeing it because you're, you're starting to communicate with the buyer, and you'll let the eBay ad run out its time period, and then you'll communicate with them offline so you actually list like a phone number for them to get a hold of you yeah i put my website down and everything okay so they they can call me they can they can always communicate send me an email and then you know that's how we uh, link up but there is an insert fee that ebay does charge you because they're not dumb you know they know that this happens all the time especially for larger dollar value products Exactly. Exactly. About what does that run? I'm thinking like fifty to seventy five bucks. Okay, not so bad. So it's it's pretty it's pretty fair. It's quite a value. So even if you don't sell the machine, you're still paying fifty. Yeah, to you have to. That, that's a, a slam dunk. You've got to pay that no matter what. eBay offers two way to list your machine tool. One is auction style. One is buy it now. The auction style, of course, start you. I would recommend people starting at a very very low price. You're not gonna sell it. You know, so if I got a fifteen thousand dollar machine, I'm going to start listing it at nine thousand nine hundred and ninety five dollars. It gets everybody's attention. People look at it. Yeah, but what what if you actually sell this machine for ten grand when it's worth fifteen? But you don't because there's a a reserve price hidden in the background because you want engagement from people. You want them to start bidding on it, and you want other people to see that there's engagement and activity on that machine like there's a lot of demand for it so there's like when somebody looks at it they see that there's 12 bids on the on the machine yes exactly exactly so let's just take that scenario again this hypothetical almost scen- becomes a competition absolutely kind of gets you emotionally it involved does. In well that the last few minutes of the bidding is when all the activity starts so let's say you i've, I've listed a machine on auction for $9,995. I want $15,000 for it, or let's say I want $14,000 for it. So what I do is I put the reserve price in at $14,001. So when, and then it'll automatically sell. If somebody puts in a bid and, a reser- and it hits that reserve price, it'll automatically sell for that number. Again, my strategy behind the $14,001 is I'm thinking that people aren't going to do that. So if they go to $14,000 and it's denied, they're going to go up another 50 bucks to get it. They're, they probably wouldn't bid $14,001. So that is the auction style. The buy it now style is similar. However, you put in the, the cost that you want to sell it for or they can make you an offer. The make you an offer has that same kind of threshold that you put in. There's a back-end reserve price that you're actually willing to take for it. If somebody puts a bid in 
a make an offer, and it hits that threshold number, it'll automatically sell. And it, it would be below your buy it now price. So it's kind of like an auction in reverse almost. It kind of, kind of is. It's interesting. And if anybody has any questions about it, they, they can reach out to me and I'll be happy to help them. But all the other criteria is important too when you list in the text area. You want to add the serial number. You want a really comprehensive list of hours on the machine, horsepower, spindle RPM, spindle speed. Age. Age, of course. That's huge. What kind of shop has that machine been running? Are you the original owner of the machine? Is it a high production shop that's running three shifts or is it a low production shop running one? Yeah, I mean, you spend a lot of your time doing setup. Your machines aren't necessarily running all the time. So exactly. that makes a big difference. It's huge. Um, otherwise, if that machine is running, making cuts 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that machine has got a lot of miles on it and uh, probability that it's, a little worn out is probably pretty good. Also, I always like to say that and advertise that we're an ISO 9001 company because with that accreditation, we have to we have written maintenance calendars and schedules that we have to um, stand by. Yeah, I I think it would make sense that you let someone know that you do maintenance on the ways on a monthly basis. I think that's. It's very if I important. was looking at a used machine, I would want to know that it was being properly maintained. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very important. So is, and also, uh, it's good to tell the people, is it coming from a mold shop, a tool and die shop, a machine job shop? The more information you can get out there, the better. Another thing, too, is, and my, my Ryan just told me today as I was preparing for this episode, he said if somebody asks you a question related to that machine via the eBay intranet, Communication. They send you a message over eBay. They send you a message. You get that message, and it says, what is the... What's the age of the machine? What's the age of the machine? When you send back the answer, you have an option to post that on so everybody who's ever looking at that machine can see that question and can see that answer. And I'll tell you why that's important. A, it's important because you're giving out more knowledge about the machine tool. B, it shows it creates interest and engagement. It shows that there's activity on the machine and people are going to get excited because if they really want that machine and they see that there's people talking about it, they're going to think, huh, I better buy that before somebody grabs it out from underneath me. A lot of times, too, when I answer those, I'll say something like, if you're going to buy, you better do it now because... There's a lot of engagement on this machine. I'm getting a lot of activity. I've got a lot of people have it on their wish list. So that's how successful I've been lately at, uh, at selling machines. Um, how, do, how do you think selling a machine through eBay compares to like selling it to the local machine, machine dealer? tool dealer? I have this written down as well. What do you know? About three years ago, I had a machine tool dealer come into my shop and do an evaluation of my machines. And this one machine that I just most recently sold, I sold for 500% more than he was willing to offer me. Five times more. Five times. Wow. Five times more. So you sold it for 15 grand. He was offering you three. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. I wonder if he was, do you think he was misquoting you? No. Or I, think he, I think he thought he was just going to come in and I didn't know anything and he was going to make a... Uh, He's going to steal it from you. So, yeah, basically, so 
it, that gave me a bad taste in my mouth for machine tool dealers. Sorry if anybody's out there selling well, machine tools. Well, I mean, tools, that's not this. This was not, this was it was a bad experience. Yeah, that, that's not to say all machine tool dealers are like no. that. Maybe maybe he was. Yeah, but who who knows the answer? That that type of experience taints the relationship going forward. Oh, absolutely. So it's kind of like if you if you go to sell your car and you know they they underbid you on your used car. Yeah, it's gonna you're not probably not gonna want to buy an, a new car from them. Yeah. So again, um, I know this is a, a short episode today, uh, but and we're probably gonna wrap up pretty soon. But again, uh, just want the metalworking nation to know that this is another avenue for which that they can sell their machine tools. They don't have to sell it. They don't have to give it to a machine tool dealer. They don't have to trade it in that they could certainly try this platform to sell their machine tool. And I think that they could make a little bit to a lot of bit more money doing it. And it's not that hard. You just have to learn how to use it and learn the tips and tricks on how to do it through eBay. But uh, so you actually recently told me that you engaged with a past guest of ours as a matter of fact, to I do did. hiring for a new position. You're, you're absolutely right. So tell us about this. So remember when we had Elena Valentine on from Skill Scout? I do. The gals from Skill Scout, they're really professional. They have a, a, a great a product, a, a brand. I contacted them the other day and I said, listen. I need an office manager. I really like your strategy behind finding new talent. And so they're coming out tomorrow, as a matter of fact, to uh, videotape me and my office and the environment at which that prospect, the prospective office manager would work in a little bit of my facility. And hopefully it's going to be a new type of retention experience or or finding new talent i I, i'll have to let the listeners know how it goes it's it's really an out-of-the-box idea you know that yeah we'll have to um actually post a link to to your ad so that everybody can take a look at it and and see what they think maybe somebody will see it and want to work for me maybe yeah so anyway i hope i provided some value to the making ships community today i hope i've inspired and equipped you with a little bit more knowledge you know jason and i always say we don't have all the answers all we have is wisdom and experience in this manufacturing industry that we live and breathe and work in every day yeah it's and almost like jim and i are trying stuff out and we're letting you know about it <laughs> just like you know trying out ebay i mean we'll let you know if we get bruised yeah, exactly but uh we're like and- the te- test crap uh, what do they call it crash test dummies <laughs> that's exactly right right so uh, again if you, anybody does have any questions feel free to reach out to me um, our phone number is 312-725-0245 and i go sub- jim nice. i know you remember i had it written down oh or, you uh, cheated <laughs> jim at makingchips.com or if you want to talk to jason jason at making chips and ryan at making chips remember the website you can play um things through there episodes is what i meant to say and uh, all the social platforms like our Facebook, follow us on um, Twitter. We have a, a SoundCloud page, LinkedIn page, YouTube page. Look at them all. See which one you like. Don't forget, too, Ryan has a Patreon account. He needs a new laptop bad, and Jason's too cheap. He won't pay for one. So help him out a little bit. Maybe we can get him a couple hundred bucks and offset some of the cost on that. Yeah, so you, if you go to makingchips.com slash Ryan, yep. you, you can you can see him pleading. Just give him five bucks. Yeah, exactly. Make handle, him feel good about make himself. Make him feel good. Make him feel like he's doing it we, for we something. We do have a couple donations. I think we've got, we're up to like 100 bucks or something nice. like that. Nice, I didn't know that. Cool. So with that, my dad always used to tell me, Jim, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. 
This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. And cinco, cuatro, tres, dos, uno. Inglés, please. Five, four, three, two, one.